Welcome to episode 95 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. I am your host, Rose Griffin, and we have an amazing show for you today. I had the absolute honor of interviewing Autumn Ziemba. Autumn Ziemba brings more than 20 years of journalism and media relations experience to the Milestones Autism Resources Team as the Communications and Content Manager. She most recently spent 12 years here at Fox 8 News here in Cleveland. She is in my hometown, which I always love connecting with people here on the podcast and in real life. She is a wealth of information. She is the proud mom of two kids, an 11-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old autistic son who is also a leukemia survivor. She shares with us her family's journey in autism from the diagnosis thinking something maybe was amiss, saying something to the pediatrician, getting everybody on board to get the diagnosis, intervention, and she shares with us so eloquently her family's journey. I am elated to have this episode and to share it with you today. Let's get right into it. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Thanks so much for joining us on episode 95 of the Autism Outreach Podcast. We have a stellar episode for you today. We have with us Autumn Ziemba. Thanks so much for joining us, Autumn. It's great to have you on. Rose, it's my pleasure and congratulations on 95 episodes. Thank you. I can't even believe it. We're set to tape 100 here pretty soon. It's been a wild ride. And I always love to connect with people from Milestones, which I know you're going to chat about, but people that are here local to my area, because I don't always get to do that that often. And uh, I'm so excited for you to to share about you and your family's journey uh, with autism so that we can, we can all learn from that. So for those of us that don't know uh, much about you, can you tell us about you and your journey into the autism world. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I am uh, I'm new to the Milestones team. Uh, I'm the communications and content manager. I spent 21 years actually in television news before that, all around the state of Ohio. So I worked in Toledo and Youngstown and for the last um, 13, 14 years in Cleveland and uh, most recently Fox 8. And so um, my son's story sort of became very public because of my position. And um, he was diagnosed with autism in 2017. He was two and a half at the time. He's now seven. uh, And and just, he's such a champion. Uh, We just feel so lucky that he's ours. (laughs) Uh, I have two children, my husband and I. Um, Our older daughter, Marin, is just turned 11. And our son, Simon, as I said, is seven. So um, it was really after his second birthday that we started to notice something happening. Um, And Simon uh, was one of the smaller percentage um, that went through regressive autism. Mm -hmm. So he did have skills uh, up through his second birthday, which he he kind of rapidly lost that summer, uh, which was really painful to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And initially, I 
you know, sometimes when you're a parent, you're too close to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew something, you know, having Simon was our second child. I knew something wasn't right. I just couldn't put my finger on it, you know, and I remember bringing it up at the pediatrician's office with his checkups, which of course we were, (laughs) we were late on all of his checkups because (laughs) child. Right. um, I remember just being like, you know, he, he has words, but he's just so quiet, you know, but of course, you know, it was always, oh, you, you can't compare sons to daughters. You know, our daughter was so verbal, so early, mm-hmm. um, you know, very engaged. And, and it, it kind of always came back to that. Well, don't compare, don't compare, don't compare. And I feel like always in the back of my mind, there was something that was like, I don't know, it just something feels very different here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in particular being, um, at a play date, I had this play group. There was sort of a um, uh, a baby boom at the station <laughs> oh, here. And so myself and I think it was like four or five other colleagues, we all had babies within like four months of each other. And um, so we, you know, and they were all boys. And so we kind of formed this play group and it was a lot of fun. And I started noticing when we would get together, you know, I'm watching, I'm watching all the boys interact and Simon just didn't seem really as interested or engaged in the other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in particular this one day we were at um, this little coffee shop that had a play area. And, you know, I'm watching all the kids in the play area, you know, and the moms are talking and the kids are, are playing. And they were sort of at that age. It was like right, right around two where like, you know, they weren't exactly doing a ton of play with each other, but there was a lot of that parallel play going on. And Simon wanted nothing to do with any of it. I mean, they're all in the play area. And I literally spent the entire time chasing him around the coffee shop. I mean, he was trying to run back into the kitchen. Mm. I remember just feeling so stressed out and really confused as to like, you know, these are all boys, you know, everyone says, oh, boys, they're so active, you know, it's so different from girls. But I'm thinking, you know, these are all boys. And yet he's the only one who's doing this, you know, why? Mm -hmm. I just couldn't put my finger on it. Um, And it wasn't really until, you know, at the time, uh, my husband's parents lived out of town, they lived in the Chicago area. And they came in to visit. And this was, um, I think it was probably Labor Day weekend. So it was about, you know, maybe four or five months after our son's second birthday. And, you know, in the past, when they had come to visit, he, you know, Simon was really excited to see them, he would run up to Mm -hmm. his papa in particular. Mm -hmm. He it was like they weren't even there. Um, mm. He just had, he really had little to no interest in them. And he was really more interested in, at the time he was super into Thomas the Trains. Mm-hmm. He was more interested in his trains. He was very focused on that and didn't really care what was going on around him. And, you know, my mother-in-law was a former kindergarten teacher. Oh. And so after that visit, you know, I think she kind of molded over and was like, I hate to be the one to like make this call and you know <laughs> tell you this, but but she called a few days later and she's like, you know, I really think you should have Simon evaluated. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but I think something is going on. And then it was like once she said it, it was <laughs> like the the light went off. You know, the mm-hmm. light bulb. It was like, yes, okay, you're right. Something's not right here, and I've known it, but I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, how to put my finger on it. 
Wow, that's so, I know that dynamic between mother-in-laws and family yeah. and, and saying something. So I'm sure that she did mull that over because that's really a big phone call to make because you want to get support, but you don't want to ruffle any feathers. But you, here you are, and this is something we hear often as professionals, you know, and not to knock pediatricians, but, you know, this wait and see mentality of, I think something's going on. And you had that mom instinct, but you almost needed somebody to, to validate like, yes, this doesn't seem right. And we need to make sure that we're getting him the services that he needs. So, um, so once you, you kind of, you're like, okay, let's do this. And you're living in an area, I always talk about the Cleveland, Ohio area being, you know, and I'm not an autism parent, but it seems to be, you know, rich with resources and, and things like that. So, so once you have that feeling and you go ahead and make an appointment, it, were you on a wait list for getting that evaluation? I know that can be something that people are struggling with as well. Yeah, we, we were. Um, the first step, we immediately went to our pediatrician. Right. Um, and I mean, we were, <laughs> I was physically upset. Like I'm you, sure. You tell, you know, she, my, our pediatrician, we're very close with her. She's our, our she sees everyone in our family. She's a family <laughs> doctor. And okay. so, um, <clears throat> you know, we went first to her and she could see how, how panicked and upset I was. And, you know, just because we have such a wonderful relationship, she <laughs> immediately in that appointment started making phone calls to the entire area. She's like, I'm going to see what clinic neurologist I can get you in with today. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. I think she was just trying to pull strings and um, she did get us in. We went that same day. Um, we, we drove to the east side and went to a neurologist and, and got the diagnosis. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it was it was a rough day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And then I feel like it's like then the real work starts of okay, now 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 what do we do? And I know that can be extremely overwhelming. I I have some courses that are um for professionals but a lot of parents take and some of the parents I dialogue with and some of this group coaching I do and I know um that it can be very stressful even after you get the diagnosis there might be some sense of relief, like now we can get services to help. But then I know that that's probably very stressful of, okay, well, what are we going to do? Because there's almost now I feel like, you know, being in the field for 20 years, 20 years ago, I feel like there wasn't a lot of information. And now there's almost so many different ways you can go that it can be really daunting. And, you know, not like you're going to be asking people for their opinion, but there's going to be a lot of people weighing in on what approach to take and all those things. So, so can you share with us kind of after that initial diagnosis, what services were most helpful and how you kind of got started on that intervention journey, getting support uh, for Simon? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I have to say like getting that diagnosis, I, really, I feel like there, as a parent, um, there's no words to describe that moment. And I, and I think something that you know, practitioners can be better at is just allowing parents to have that grieving period because mm -hmm. it is, you know, it, it, this is, of course, there are, are far worse diagnoses. Um, but as a parent, you have, whether, whether it's conscious or not, you have this picture of how your life is going to be and how your child's life is going to be. And, you know, once you have this diagnosis thrown into the mix, it is extraordinarily overwhelming because really we all want the same thing for our kids, right? You know, we want them to be happy. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be their best selves. That's really all any of us want, whether we're special needs parents or not. So 
when, when a diagnosis comes into play that you start thinking, is this going to affect those things? Is my child going to live a happy life? Is my child going to live a healthy life? Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's devastating and it's extraordinarily isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it just, you know, in, in that moment, getting the diagnosis and then they hand you this stack of paperwork of, you know, oh, here's resources that are available to you. But I mean, your, your head is spinning. You don't know yeah. where to begin. Um, you don't know, you know, you, you can barely figure out the next few hours, let alone mm-hmm. the next few days and weeks and months ahead. So, um, of course, you know, the neurologist recommended um, ABA therapy for Simon, applied behavioral analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and speech, because during his regression, he had lost a considerable amount of language. Mm-hmm. Um, he had gone from, you know, he, he he had words and really, I would say, you know, a very short, like two word phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't use them a lot because he was very quiet, but he mm-hmm. did, you know, he did have them. In fact, I remember going back and being like, wait a minute, wait a minute, autism. No, 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 it can't be. You know, I remember going back into, into my cell phone and pulling up yeah. videos and saying, but look, look, here's, mm-hmm. you know, here's him singing happy birthday with his sister. You know, here's the two of them making eye contact. Right. Um, but he, you know, it was, he had lost so much of, of that skill set, And so it was really hard to wrap my brain around, okay, um, you know, he lost these skills. We now have to teach him these skills. Mm-hmm. Again. And so you're kind of starting over. And so we, you know, we did go the route of, of ABA therapy. And, mm-hmm. and I know, you know, that can be a controversial subject <laughs> right now. And, and yeah. I certainly don't want to diminish anyone's experience. Um, right. We had a very positive experience with it. And I feel like we're very lucky um, to be, as you said, here in Cleveland with mm-hmm. the resources of Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, all of his ABA therapy was play-based. Um, he loved his therapists, <laughs> oh, that's loved, loved, loved his therapists. And so, you know, we, we, we did start down that road of, of ABA and speech therapy and, you mm-hmm. know, in the beginning, but this is back in 2017 before I, I think the state laws changed at that point uh, or, or shortly after that point. So, you know, we were, I think our insurance at that time had only approved like an hour a week of each. And it was like, we're, how are we going to make progress? Okay. An hour a week <laughs> of speech and AB, you know, like it just felt like this uphill battle. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Simon's situation is so unique because um, it was only three months after he was diagnosed with autism that he was then diagnosed with leukemia. Oh. So that was a one, two punch. You know, we really were just, had just wrapped our heads around, okay, here's right. our, here's our plan to do yeah. this. And now um, we kind of have to put everything on the back burner because he needed to start treatment for his leukemia. And so oh that was a panic moment of, you know, <laughs> you're, you're always told when your child is diagnosed with autism, the earlier the intervention, the better. Well, now here we are. We had some of these interventions started, right? And we had to take a break from everything, and and then it then it was the panic of, you know, is he not going to be able to regain these skills because we're having to put everything on the back burner? So, um, now this whole time, are you are you working full time at this point? I mean, I know in my area you're a local celebrity here, you know, with being on the news, and it's very exciting. But I'm as a mom, I'm wondering. 
are you going through all this? I'm just, you know, dying inside oh, hearing no. it because it's so traumatic. But are you working full time at this point? Are you on camera? I was. That's I was be working. I was. I was actually lucky that. Um, <clears throat> so my the station I worked for at the time, Fox Eight, was incredibly supportive to oh, me. That's great. Um, because I had taken a short leave after his autism diagnosis, and then after his leukemia diagnosis, I took about a three month leave because he okay. was in the hospital for seven weeks. Wow. Um, but I, at that time, was actually I, I anchored the weekend mornings, and so oh. I worked part time. Oh. It was great because it gave me the time during the week to just yeah. focus on his care and mm-hmm. you know constant doctor's appointments and therapy appointments and and when he you know when he was past the first few months of treatment which were the hardest um, you know we were finally able to get some in home therapy mm-hmm. started for him yeah. so he had you know we had an ABA therapist who came to the house we had a mm-hmm. speech therapist who came to the house it, it all had to be done in home. Yeah, you know, while he was in the first sure. months of treatment because he was he was so immune compromised, and so yeah. um, you know we were very lucky, and and I was just I was so lucky to have such a supportive employer, you know, and certainly right. um, that's not the case for mm-hmm. every parent, and and that's a huge struggle and a huge problem because this you know both of these diagnoses that we went through are are life changing for the entire family. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that supportive work environment, you know, it, it, it makes everything that much more complicated and that much more difficult. And, um, and I, I recognize, you know, we were in a, a place of privilege where we had mm-hmm. supportive employers. Um, and so it, it, it pains me to know that that's not the case for everybody and, and just, you know, makes me want to work harder to mm-hmm. um, do what I can to alleviate that situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So when you're working with, I always wonder this too, because, you know, I worked for 20 years in the public schools and now I have my own business and and things like that. Sometimes it's hard to know how to communicate effectively with parents, especially if you're an IEP meeting or if you're school-based because you can't always ask the questions you want to ask. It's kind of, there's some barriers there. And so I'm wondering as a parent who is working with different professionals, what, what are some tips? I know you mentioned, you know, just giving parents that time to grieve, which I think is important for you to say, because I spent an inordinate amount of time on online because I have an online business. So there are a lot of people that are very mean towards parents when they ask questions about ABA or they're very mean towards parents if they say anything about being, you know, upset or dealing with, you know, a diagnosis, which I just think is is very rude and mean, but that's that's online. Um, so in real life, do you have any recommendations for professionals as far as when we're, you know, working with parents? What are some things that are helpful when we're communicating together as professional and parent? Yeah. Um, I think it, I think just having that sense of empathy, um, you know, and, and listen, I have learned since I joined the milestones team, uh, I've been with the team for six months now. I have learned a great deal about, you know, the greater autism community. It's, you, you kind of get into your own bubble sometimes when you're, when you're a parent and I'm, I'm really appreciative for all of the new perspectives I have now, you know, I have, um, autistic colleagues that have, have mm-hmm. shed light on so many things that I didn't consider before uh, I joined the team. And so that it's, it is so helpful to know, you know, all of these perspectives. I think it is important to, you know, allow parents that, that grieving time. I think empathy goes a really long way. Um, 
you know, I remember sitting down at our first IEP meeting and we were, we were so unprepared and we, we panicked at the last minute, like the <laughs> night before the meeting, we, we panicked because we yeah. were like, you know, we were hearing things from other parents and, you know, I, we, I said, maybe we should bring in a, um, you know, like a, a meteor or an ad, a parent advocate. advocate so yeah. we kind of hired one last minute <laughs> and I shouldn't say I, I don't recommend that, but I, <laughs> it was, I, if you're going to do it, I would do it far in advance of the meetings yeah. so that you have time to really get to know one another because it, 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 um, it didn't go exactly the way that we thought it was going to go. And I feel like that's probably a lot of people's experiences with IEP meetings, but um, it was, the meeting itself was so emotional because we were still in this place of trying to wrap our heads around right. two diagnoses. And, um, I remember my, my, you know, I remember them asking, you know, okay, well, what are, what are your goals for Simon? Mm-hmm. And I, I'd been holding it together for the majority <laughs> of the meeting. And then my husband sitting next to me, he said, you know, it got quiet for a moment and he said, <laughs> I just want him to have a friend. Oh, and <laughs> I lost it. Yeah, I, I was. Ju- I, we had to stop the meeting. I had to go to the restroom and <laughs> calm down because mm-hmm. I was sobbing so hard. Um, oh. Because again, that goes back to the whole. Mm-hmm. Really, just want your child to live a right. happy life, and yeah. And so I think just you know having that as a practitioner, having that that empathy and compassion and understanding goes a really, really long way for parents. You know, parents are going to, you as a parent, you are your child's first advocate. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's just understanding that, you know, really when the parent is there and you're having that dialogue, um, they're, they're just trying to have the best interests of their child in mind. So um, just, just making a place for that. Yeah, I I love that. And I, you know, in my experience working, I found the most emotionally charged meetings to be, and this was before I had my own kids, but preschool was always very emotional, you know, like that. And um, in high school, actually, because I feel like kind of after preschool, you kind of get some things set in place. Maybe you feel more comfortable with the, the process of how intervention flows. And then in high school, we're talking again about something so new about, you know, adult services or what is your child going to do for the rest of their life? It's such a big, such a big undertaking. Um, and do you, do you feel comfortable sharing? I'm not sure what the answer is. Is he now, is he in a non-public program now for school or is he in public school or do you do a mix or a hybrid? Mm-hmm. He's in public school now. He spent, um, three years in the preschool program at the, uh, the learner school mm-hmm. through the clinic center for autism, yes. which again, tremendous resource mm-hmm. here in Northeast Ohio, cannot say enough good things about them. Um, very difficult to get into. That's the, the yes. all of that. And mm-hmm. um, financially in particular, we, you know, because Simon had the, the extreme medical needs on mm-hmm. top of um his, you know, his additional needs. Um, we were, were lucky in the fact that the district realized that and, and helped with placement there. So yeah. he just had a tremendous 
um, start at Learner, and that really gave him the foundation he needed. And he graduated the preschool program in um, summer of 2020. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it was, no, it was 2021. Okay. And then, um, so he's been, uh, the last couple of years, he's oh. been um, in our home district oh. and he's, he is in a, um, he's in a special needs classroom, but really we, we feel so lucky. Our district is so wonderful That's at great. the way that it is structured and he, he gets a ton of um, one-on-one time and then he gets a lot of time in the um, the typical classroom. Mm-hmm. So last year was kindergarten. Now he's first grade. So he's spending a good amount of time in the um, the typical first grade mm-hmm. classroom, getting great peer interaction. Uh, and we're we're hoping that the next year or two will bring you know he'll be he'll be ready to to be completely mainstream. Oh, that's great. Um, so we're ve- we are very lucky in mm-hmm. the way that his his journey has turned out. Um, Simon is a really fast learner. He always has been. Yeah. So he, he kind of soaks everything up like a sponge and um, he just had such a great foundation, um, you know, between learner and now our home district of, you know, really supportive people who truly care. Yeah. It's made all the difference for him. That's great. I actually started at the Learner School. I worked there for three years. That's the first time I ever. Okay. I learned about ABA and what that was. And I just remember I was working with older students. So I didn't work in the preschool, but a lot of my buddies did. And I just remember working with an 18-year-old student who had never, he had been in speech therapy since three. And I remember talking to my colleague and we looked through his speech notes and it's just nobody could reach him. He was a hard to reach student and had a lot of problem behavior that was a barrier, but he was able to learn how to use an AAC device at the age of 18. And I just remember that's when it really lit a fire in me to then become a BCBA as well as an SLP, which it just helps me really help people in such a specific way. But that's where I always call it my autism boot camp because I was definitely just, you know, immersed in helping autistic learners. So I'm I'm really happy that, you know, you had that experience and it gave him that that boost. And and that's so important to have that good communication and dialogue with your your intervention team. So that's yes. really amazing. I, I love- have to I have to tell you his very first therapist, his very first RBT that worked mm-hmm. with the learner when he first started, they became so very close um, for the year and a half after, you know, into his program, she ended mm-hmm. up leaving learner and, and going to a different place. But yeah. they became so close. He actually um, just this, this August was the ring bearer in her oh. wedding. That's so cute. It was so sweet. I mean, there's there, there's to this yes. day oh. a beautiful relationship. Oh. That's yeah. nice. I love that so much. Well, it's been amazing to to hear your journey. And do you have any, if there's parents listening, do you have one piece of advice for them if they are? I have a lot of parents that listen and they'll message me on Instagram and you know take the courses, but I, I know that they're they are too feeling isolated and and all of those things. Do you have one a lasting piece of advice that you g- would give to parents? that might be be thinking about these things? Yeah, you know, I, gosh, to narrow it down to one piece of advice is, is tough. I think, first of all, don't fear the diagnosis. Um, I think that's something that is really difficult in the beginning to hear. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, the bottom line is your child is the same child. Um, when they leave that office mm-hmm. with that diagnosis, they're the same child that walked in. So regardless of whether or not they have that the label of autism, 
um, they're the same individual. And so I think it's, you know, just understanding that um, the future for your child is, is not written. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, your, your child, there's so much capability there. And so it's just finding the way to unlock your child's own strengths and joys and, um, and don't fear that diagnosis because that diagnosis is going to open you guys up to so many resources on the county and the state level. And so, um, you know, I think it's that. And I think you need to understand that, you know, not every technique is going to work for every kid. I think it's right. just finding what works for your kid. It's meeting them in the middle. It's recognizing, you know, um, they they may have a say in how they want to learn. And I think it's mm-hmm. important to to recognize that and and appreciate that and be open to your child being part of their own team. I think that's, that's crucial, you know, and of course, um, as an organization, Milestones is here for parents. Um, Mm -hmm. This organization has been tremendous for me and my family. Um, I think it is exceptionally unique in that we are here, you know, not only for autistic individuals and parents, but any providers, doctors, teachers, therapists, um, you know, we even do trainings out in the community. So mm-hmm. for police officers, first responders, anyone who wants strategies on how um, to make the community more accepting, more understanding and safer for autistic individuals, that's why we're here. And so um, I think it is, it's important to reach out and, and um, you know, to an organization like Milestones and, and find your tribe. <laughs> Once you find your tribe, you're good. You know, you've got you've got those people that have your back and and really that's that's half the battle. Yes. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find out more about you and your work, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, they, so they can go to milestones.org. Okay. Um and and click on the staff um, and my bio and email address is there. You can reach out to me. I'm on social media. Um, Instagram, Facebook, a little bit on Twitter, not as much. <laughs> I need to get more into Twitter, but um, please feel free to reach out to me. And of course, if if you want to know more about my son's story, you can you can just Google Autumn Zima. <laughs> Fox Eight did a lot of coverage throughout his journey, so um, you'll see a lot of a lot of the stories on YouTube um, that Fox Eight did on on his journey and our journey. So. Uh, but I'm always happy to chat with other parents or professionals. I, I love um, to do what I can do to, to help, um, you know, autistic individuals become their best selves. So anything that I can do to help you as a parent or individual, I'm here. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It was really great to talk with you. It was wonderful to talk with you, Rose. Thank you so much for asking me. I'm honored. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.